This is the Wheel of Time podcast on TV Podcast Industries. This time we're talking about the Wheel of Time, episode 5, Blood Calls Blood. I can't channel. You said yourself you're sworn to the light. And a man of the light cannot kill a girl who's done nothing wrong. And what makes you think that I'm a man who stays true to his oaths? That I won't just bleed you out right here and now? If you're going to do it, then do it. But know this. I'll come back in my next life and split you from head to tail like the pig you are! You would have made a strong Isidai. A wonderful ring to add to my collection. Welcome back, fellow wheelies. It is I, Chris, and you are listening to the Wheel of Time podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We are talking about episode five of season one, Blood Calls Blood. I am joined by my illustrious co-hosts, the indomitable Derek. Welcome back, fellow wheelies. Uh, I'm not going to be talking very much tonight. You do, you do have a, a lot. Yay! Yeah, it's a Chris and John podcast Woo! again. Woo! We're That's back. <laughs> the the dynamic crazy duo. He's Derek is here. He just has a s- smelly cat Phoebe Buffet voice. I have a very yeah very sore throat unfortunately at the moment. So uh, yes. so it's it's very deep. Uh, <laughs> well, He's it's it deep sounds. and booming. That's what yes. it sounds in my head, anyway. No, it sounds good. I, I'm not going to lie. You you do have a a, a a tremble to it that could make men quake in their boots, almost <laughs> like a, a a dragon reborn. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Well, I am one of your other hosts, Derek. <laughs> yes, and then rounding out this illustrious trio, my partner in crime for those off crazy kilter <laughs> podcasts john hello <laughs> fellow wheelies uh yes uh, i am one of your other hosts john interesting the blood yeah. is calling me <laughs> full, full moon outside john is it <laughs> yes well in, guys we are nearly is. halfway through this mm-hmm. we are halfway through this season um I know I'm enjoying it. Before we get into the spoiler-filled discussion of episode five, how are you guys feeling? Like we are, we are there. Derek, you are our novice mm-hmm. uh, to this. Uh, very much, John. You are our kind of the 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 Isa die, where I am the Amelin seat when it comes to our knowledge <laughs> right. of this. And where are you guys with this? I don't even know if I'm the Aes Sedai. Um, to be, I'm, I'm loving it, first off. Mm-hmm. Loving the, the show. But because of some of the changes to the book, and the book is so fresh in my mind, like the start of this episode, I was suddenly like questioning, well, 
where are they? Are they in Tarvalon or are they in Camelin? And then I was thinking, oh my goodness, have been have I been giving the wrong name all the way through for and <laughs> in, in, in the synopsis? And I was just like going, oh my goodness, where is it? So I had to go and look back at the book and go, right, I'm not going mad. And then I was like, yes, this is right. They're just condensing the travel and the number of cities yeah. that they reach. So I was like, phew. <laughs> I can now relax. But I was completely kind of going, have I just gotten everything totally wrong? But it wasn't. It was just because it of wasn't the condensed... you, it was them. <laughs> it was, exactly. Exactly. Well, as they say, a little knowledge is a dangerous it, thing. Well, it really yeah. is. Uh, it, it, it wasn't me. It was Rafe uh, Lee Judkins. It was all his fault. That, you know, <laughs> he, he unsettled me in my, in my own living room. Yeah. But, but I'm loving it, absolutely loving um, the show. And in particular, this episode was really, really good. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I'm really, really liking the uh, the world expanding that they're doing uh, throughout the show. And I think one of the good things about the show, knowing that there's a season two and potentially season three on the way, season two filming, season three hopefully coming very soon afterwards, um, that really helps with allowing this show to breathe more than we get in other shows. You know, these kind of shows need time to set up their world or else when it gets to season three, they'll have run through only story or only action. Whereas this episode was a lot about how people in this world deal with situations, deal with death, for example, um, things that we wouldn't get in other shows that would just pass over those in the first season and kind of deal with them later down the line. So I'm liking a show that a show like this that has time to breathe uh, yeah. and really enjoying the world and how it's been uh, rolled out slowly, but with a lot of movement in, in some ways as well. It's, it's going, it's going fast and slow at the same time, which is really yeah. good. <laughs> and look, the, the, the book, the book is known for it's, 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 an, it's not the Lord of the Rings where we get a three chapter kind of discussion on breakfast mm -hmm. second breakfast and fourth breakfast <laughs> we it, but it still had these quite large gaps of kind of travel time and discussions mm -hmm. so i can see why they've condensed a lot of that and kind of decided Absolutely. to omit elements so but i think personally i'm loving it i i knew i would but i'm also loving the fresh choices and how they've decided to and what they've decided to condense and what they've decided to prioritize as a lore. So yeah. this is something you as a brand new viewer of this series should understand and, and kind of be yeah. and aware of. And the choices I'm are very interesting because I personally would have gone a different not no, I would have gone similar, but I still would have made some different different choices. And I'm actually understanding Oh, it's usually with our second viewing that you kind of see a different perspective. Yeah. The first one is like, ooh, shiny. Yeah. Second one is you kind of get into some of the details. Yeah, like as a new viewer, it would make absolutely no difference to me if two characters are having a conversation in a completely different city than they're having now. If the conversation yeah. is taking place, and that's the important element of it, is that, exactly. the, that the context of what's going on is fulfilled within the storyline, then that doesn't matter to me. One thing to call out, there was an interview with Rayfield Junkets um, about the approach to the show and the approach to the books. And one of the things that's really important to call out, it is, it is also to do with budget. When you're writing a book, you're writing things on a page, 
and you're saying brand new city, describe the city, that fills up a couple of chapters, Grant. Um, put character in background who is important in, in book five of, uh, of this story, Grant. Um, he's very clear. He's not going to cast someone in season one who's not going to appear for five years when the show hasn't been confirmed for five yes, seasons. So exactly. he's, he's very clear. If someone's really important in book five, I want to make sure I cast the right actor who was available at that time to play that role when that comes up, if it comes up. And in the same way, they're not going to create an entire city or an entire village if it's only going to appear for five minutes and one episode now because it's important in the future. He'll deal with that down the line, basically. Exactly. And it's also, it's different mediums. You know, uh, the world building that uh, Robert Jordan did was to go through the world and describe and explain different aspects of it as they move through the different towns, at least in the first book. That's what I was taking on board here. They can do a wide shot to show the expanse of the Camelin Plains right there and then. Mm-hmm. You know, it's completely different medium and it's different ways of doing it and they have different techniques and this is absolutely right to do. I mean, can you imagine if it was... You know, episode two, we're at the ferry. Episode three, we're at Berlion. <laughs> episode four, we're at uh, Chanel yeah. Lagoth. Episode five, Whitebridge. Yeah. Epi- I mean, you'd go insane. So, like, you, you have to, you know, in terms of the medium of TV and visually, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't work. And so, uh, I think it's just really good choices in adapting the, the book for TV. Um, and so, uh, but as I say, it just confused me uh, at the start of, uh, <laughs> I was like, uh oh. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I think that's enough uh, preamble to uh, to the episode itself. Uh, but two quick things since, Chris, you haven't been able to join us for the feedback section where we've been getting our thoughts from our fellow wheelies. Um, you may have missed that we have, have had one vote, um, which has cast the deciding decision on what we call the fans of Wheel of Time. Uh, we're going to be calling them wheelies from now on. Uh, thanks to Angie Arhus, uh, who, who liked the name. So, uh, so it's, um, <laughs> wheelies it is. And also speaking of names, um, we have been called out for the amount of different ways that we've pronou- been pronouncing Egwene in the show. Um, I made a clear note throughout this episode, uh, on the show, she's being called Egwene. So that is what we have to try and stick with. Um, a little insight uh, to our podcast um, throughout the show, Why the Last Man. Uh, there's a ca- character called 355. And in order to ensure that we didn't mispronounce her name, it was written out in full letters as three, the word 50 and the number five so that we didn't mistake it. So I may be changing every uh, spelling of Egg Wayne to E-G-G-W-A-Y-N-E. So we uh, pronounce it correctly from now on. Well, that is true. <laughs> that is true. And that's that's a good thing. Um, to to do that because I did like one of the one of the um suggestions of Egg Winnie. I quite like that. That would be my pet. <laughs> that would be my pet name for Egg Wayne. That does sound yeah. like yours. Yes. Egg so Winnie. I think I called this out with John on the second episode, which was for years, like. 10, nearly a decade plus, I have been pronouncing these words in my head by myself. Never have I heard them uttered aloud by anyone. Mm-hmm. And now, Egwene, it is going forward then. There uh, we go. Excellent yes. stuff. Yes. But <laughs> enough, as you said, of the, the details. And thank you for that feedback, for everyone on those feedback sessions. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to make them. But let's get into discussions on this episode, episode five. Derek, do you want to tell us who gave us what? 
Absolutely. Once again, this series is based on the book series by Robert Jordan. The showrunner for the show is Rayfleet Jokins. Uh, this episode was written by Celine Song, who's a staff writer on this season of the show, but this is her first episode writing credit um, for Wheel of Time. Uh, the episode was directed by Sally Richardson Whitfield, uh, directed numerous shows after being an actor, um, has directed episodes of Altered Carbon and American Gods, and we've spoken about her work before because she directed um, episodes of The Punisher Season 2 and Luke Cage Season 2. Excellent stuff. Welcome on board, Celine, and good to have you back, Sally. Exactly, exactly. Yes. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis of this episode of Wheel of Time, Episode 5, Blood Calls Blood? Sure. All roads lead to Tarvalon as our heroes begin to converge on the White Tower. With a month passed since Legane's forces attacked the Aesidae camp, he enters Tarvalon as their prisoner to face judgment by the Amelin Seat. Rain, Lan, and the other Aesidae and their warders mourn the loss of their fallen brethren. But Stepan has taken the death of his Aesidae, Kareni, hard, and his grief knows no bounds. While Lan attempts to comfort him, it all becomes too much for Stepan. As a glorious sunrise shimmers over Tarvalon, the warders and Aesidae must say goodbye to another of their ranks as Stepan releases himself of his grief and loss. Rand and Matt, having escaped the Fade, also make it to Tarvalon, where they treat themselves to comfy beds at a busy tavern. But Matt has become more and more withdrawn and tetchy, and Rand gets increasingly concerned that he has brought his friend to great danger in Tarvalon, the stronghold of the Aesidae power, as he realises that his friend could truly be a male channeler or Sedin of the True Source, as warned by Tom. But as Matt is tormented all day and all night of visions from the farmstead, Rand meets Loal, an ogier, in the tavern library. Looking to help Rand, Loal brings a familiar wisdom to see Matt, as the two are reunited with Nynaeve. Meanwhile, on the outskirts of Tarvalon, Egwene and Perrin run into and are captured by a familiar face, the questioner Chalvaldor of the White Cloaks. Believing Egwene and Perrin to be an Aesidae and her warder, he coldly and clinically interrogates the two companions, forcing an ultimatum on the two of them. Either Egwene confesses to channeling the One Power and will be killed, if not, Perrin will be killed. With wolves howling nearby in the woods, Valdor tortures Perrin and his eyes become a brilliant golden yellow. With the white cloak distracted, Egwene attempts to use her limited control of the one power to no effect. But as Valdor ominously approaches Egwene to take her hands, wolves start to attack the white cloak encampment, and Perrin finds the strength to break his bonds and stand up to Valdor. In the ensuing chaos, Egwene and Perrin escape their captivity protected by the wolves, and Valdor lies stabbed in his tent. It has been an action-packed episode. Lots of, uh, like, as you say, just world-building here, certainly mm. reaching Tarvalon and that yeah. fantastic CGI, you know, this island um, in, in a river. And um, that was just spectacular. I loved that. Um, I thought Rand looked very um so, sort of elfish with his green cloak on and the bow uh, <laughs> over over his uh, over his back and shoulder mm. um and uh, and certainly then uh, a few other bits of mythology and lore with Perrin coming in here uh, as well as the introduction of a, a, a new um 
species uh, within this world as yeah. well yeah. with Loal. Can I make one minor complaint about the show so far? Yes. Um, Rand's bow bag. I hate it. <laughs> Hate. It just seems really silly. We have we've we've been watching archers since back in the time of Robin Hood, and they all just throw their bow over their shoulder. I don't understand why he has a bag that he sticks his bow into. It seems really odd. I suppose it's to keep it getting muddy. Oh, it is. We've talked about yeah. this before. It's the bowstring to get it stop it getting wet, so that it's in there, so it doesn't get muddy from walking and stuff. I'm assuming. But half of it's hanging out and half of it's in, so it doesn't make sense. It just looks <laughs> weird. And every time I see it from the, from behind, I'm like, oh yeah, he isn't carrying it over his shoulder like every other archer in history. Well, He's he carrying it in a bag. He did this time, and it looks cool. It does look much cooler when he carries it over his shoulder. So, uh, yeah. But anyway, it just annoys me when I see it from behind because I've never seen it in any other uh, medium before. I'm surprised somebody <laughs> would stitch up a bag for something that you... I, I, I must say, that, you know, <laughs> Rand looked very striking there, sort of on that escarpment looking over viewing the White City um, the, of Tarvalon or the, on the White Tower, I should say. Yeah. But I do <laughs> really like that Matt looks increasingly uh, more and more as though the the stag do the night before was even more sort of epic than it was <laughs> the episode before uh-huh. um looking sort of disheveled uh, and really with the mother of all hangovers and yeah. um, yeah. in his kind of tatty dressing gown type uh, cloak and, and <laughs> coat and um, so i really like that there's kind of the the sort of the, the the difference between the two of them um mm. but it, which is a good thing given yeah. what mass is going through but i mean he looks like he's been on a proper bender well since you gentlemen brought it up <laughs> let's jump into our main spoke uh our first spoke i should say let's talk about the the mass rand and the arrival in tarvalon mm. and actually everyone's arrival to a degree in tarvalon first and foremost what did you think of the white tower the, the the gleaming city that is Tarvalon. You get we've you've heard so much about this place. Um, is it what you expected? Is it like what did you think? Uh, were you did you have the same awe as Rand, or was it kind of were you willing to throw fruit at it like Logan? <laughs> Uh, I really like the city. Um, I was surprised that there was a city. I kind of felt that from the descriptions before that the um, a Sedai lived in a tower away from everybody, but it seems like they are supporting a, a massive city around them, which actually makes more logical sense. It, it seems to be a seat of power. So, um, so of course, you're going to have a big city uh, set up around it. Uh, a couple of interesting little uh, things I picked up from the conversation on the way in. Really surprised, first of all, that we had a month's jump um and yeah, there only, exactly there was only one place that Rand and matt had stayed since uh since the start of the season and that was the barn uh where uh they left tom behind um to fight off the fade um so that was the first surprise that that it was uh, a month had passed and they'd just been on just been walking secondly that it was tom that told them about the inn to stay in uh in yeah. this area that kind of yeah. dialogue but I don't know when they would have had that conversation, but anyway, I'm sure they off they screen, did. off screen, off screen conversation, off screen conversation. Um, and then there was just a just a note that Rand says when they arrive. The first thing he says when they see uh, Tarvalon is he says he knows those mountains. Um, my understanding of Rand is that he has lived in two rivers his whole life, so this must be something connected to a dream or a prophecy that he has said, that he's had in his head, whatever those dreams are that he has. But he must have seen it uh, somewhere before. But he just makes a quick mention of it, and then 
it's never mentioned again in the episode. So uh, yeah. I just thought that was interesting. Okay, yeah, because I, I I took that because he saw the mountain before the city, and then he he, he went up the kind of slope, and the, before him was Tar Valon, and mm-hmm. um, with the mountain slash I think volcano uh, behind it. Um, so I just assumed it was the tails of Tarvalon. Right. Even though he was in two rivers, he knew about Tarvalon mm-hmm. and maybe a, a previous Gleeman at some stage had shown drawings of it or something. I don't know. But yeah, I know what you mean. I guess, you know, how does he know this? You know, yeah. is it something he's remembering from the dreams or potentially with this connection to the old blood of the Menethrin, you know? Or something, yeah, something like that. They are dropping throughout this episode and throughout many of these episodes, they're dropping foreshadowing for each of the main characters that they too potentially could be the Dragon Reborn. Absolutely, and it there's could a lot be more of that later on um, yeah. between Rand and uh, Lowell later on. I just wanted to make mention of the fact that he says yes. he has seen this mountain before um, and then it's kind of dropped. So, so just to note, that is the Dragon Mount. Mm-hmm. That is the mountain where the previous dragon did start to crack the world. Interesting. Um, so it is connected to the prophecy of the dragon reborn. There we go. Okay. Excellent. There we are. So that I'm is all I will I say. <laughs> uh, yeah. And again, it, it, it's one of those nicely, nicely put in there. It is interesting, though, because I have to say, like yourself, I thought Tarvalon was going to be just the tower, like Saruman's tower in, mm. in, in the two towers from Lord of the Rings. Not to say that it needs to replicate that, but I think the description was very much, you know, they're kind of in this ivory tower in effect. And that's part of the the disconnect that people can have with the mm-hmm. Aes Sedai as much as they also can have the opposite view of them. So I was kind of, ex- I didn't expect the the sprawling city around the base, but I loved that. I love what they did, but this is marrying as a shorthand Camelin, uh, the royal seat of Andor, uh, with the, the, the queen, right. um, with then the seat of the Tarvalon, uh, yeah. because effectively what happens here at Tarvalon is kind of a, a, a mix, a mixture of what happens in those two cities, um, mm-hmm. as well. So, but it was really impressive. Um, I thought this just looked spectacular. Yeah. Because it was really interesting. We have the Yesidai uh, effectively parading Loghain through the city uh, and, and the streets showing that they've captured another false dragon, effectively someone that could have challenged them for power uh, or could have could have broken the world, I suppose. Um, but they're parading him through the streets to get the reaction of the public, showing them how powerful they are almost. So uh, I thought that was quite interesting. So we're, we're there is, as I say, the White Tower is a seat of power, and these people surrounding them, mm-hmm. like they would, like any king or queen would treat their subjects in the city, they have to have a a show of power uh, to kind yeah. of show them who's in control. Mm-hmm. So uh, I thought that was quite interesting, and we had the usual um, people staring out from the streets and throwing uh, throwing rotten vegetables and fruit at, uh, at the the prisoner being uh, taken through the city. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I did like the Landrin uh, and one of the other. Aesodai was sat in chairs very close to where he was getting pelted and one mm-hmm. of the warders says it was nice when Landrin got a tomato sort of deflected tomato to her head and <laughs> um, at least at least it's red I guess um yes. so uh, it, it wouldn't show up on her on her gowns but um I really thought that 
sort of parade of Legane was quite good. And yeah. in particular, just that recognition across his face um, to Rand and Matt who were up in uh, Balcony. Mm. But then yes. also that I think there's a bit of reality and a bit of Matt's imagination here yes. uh, because, you know, Matt begins to imagine or see more as you have hysterical sort of maniacal laughing coming from the game, almost this recognition of someone who also can channel the the true source. So yeah. I really like that. But I think part of it was maybe some recognition and then it moved into the uh, Matt's mind. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I don't know that... for sure, quite frankly, but I was thinking if it was... You know, even though we've seen him gentled at, mm. at the end of the last episode, I guess he doesn't have that connection. But yeah. I just wondered whether there was more uh, here that, than I know so far. So I thought this was quite intriguing. Yeah, I don't think the guy moves at all in the cage. I think he's sitting still the whole yeah. time and it's all in Matt's mind. So, um, so he doesn't even look up? No. 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 So... Throughout this episode, the title of this episode is Blood Cause Blood. Mm -hmm. Throughout this episode, we get examples of Blood Cause Blood. Mm -hmm. So, potentially, the false dragon calling, the blood of the false dragon calling the real dragon reborn, noticing and understanding. The two warders, blood calling blood. The two Aes Sedai, blood calling blood. Mm -hmm. The two rivers folks coming together, Nynaeve and... Rand and Matt coming back together, blood calling blood. Yeah. My assumption is it was repeatedly done like that as a, a fantastic kind of callback to each of the, the different sects, the groups. The way I took it was there was a, a look of recognition, the initial first shot. Yeah, that's what I And did. then everything else is Matt's brain. Adult yeah, brain. Yeah. Exactly. One of them potentially is the Dragon Reborn. Mm-hmm. So you are get like, and this is the man who thought he was, but he understands. We don't understand within this frame of this show how much he has been told. What he what now he's been gentled. What can he see? What can can he still see the weaves of the one power, or can he see nothing? Can he, like they, there's a lot of lore building there, like. Potentially, if Matt or Rand stands in front of him, he will say something huge. But yeah. at the same point, maybe it is all just in. And that's what I really liked about this, because I saw this and I was like, yeah. oh, wow. Like, there's just this f- ferocious kind of craziness, fanatic look. And it's, you're like, but that's not how you, that's just all in Matt's mind. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. And it, it's good because either they're keeping the red herring of Legain going by just that, as you say, that first shot where he looks up and, and the return uh, look from Matt and Rand, uh, or um, he is just the red herring. Yeah. Um, speaking of the inn, we are introduced to another member of perhaps the group of some of the, the, the one of the, the character long talked about, um, in the books, long discussed. Would he show up? Loyal. Yeah. He is there. You have, we have seen our first ogre. Um, what did you think? <laughs> I was, I was really impressed that they kind of, um, made a joke about how his name is clearly spelt in the book. 
since I haven't read the book, I'm I'm taking the uh, the joke as one for uh, for book readers. Uh, he's not an ogre; he's an ogre. Uh, yes, because uh, <laughs> uh, Rand calls him an ogre, and he goes, "No, no, no, no not at all." Um, he's an interesting character. It made, it made me laugh because he reminded me of uh, of Treebeard from uh, from Lord of the Rings. That the idea that um, everybody's just very hasty about everything that's going on. Why why do they rush into things without yeah. properly being prepared for what to expect? I think is is the line that he says, which I thought was really interesting. Um, he's not given much in the episode here, much description and much much. Um, information about who he is or why he's involved or um, what a steading is that's mentioned briefly or any of that is no exactly it's all very like whoosh and i was like oh wow okay it just seems like rand bumps into um this guy in the library and then suddenly he's involved in their business <laughs> I don't yeah really know why. <laughs> there was a little bit too much of a shorthand i yeah. think uh for introducing a, a character like loyal um for me and I have to say, I was, I thought he was more human than I was expecting. He should have, exactly. So this is uh, one thing I can see a few people going, ah. I don't mind for sure, but I, I just the description, I wasn't expecting that. But again, I, I can understand why, because it, it, it's problematic in, in the book because it's almost like they have to, sort of um sneak him out of places and, and go at night uh, and so on and and that's that's fine but yeah it was just more human than i thought yeah. so in the books the 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 ogre are more bestial mm. and that's why everyone always confuses the ogre with trollocs right for example so they are these mythical creatures more like less human, more beast type things. Whereas the Ogre are very learned and uh, educated. Whereas mm-hmm. the Cholocks are, as we saw, care only about the next meal and don't have compassion, etc., etc., etc. So this, they took a lot of kind of blinking, you'll miss it. Oh, he's here. Okay, cool. He's helped out round. My hope, is that they will get more deeper into that. We will have a Basel exposition scene within the next couple of episodes where you get Rans or someone kind of asking about the Ogre, getting that explanation for new readers and new viewers. Mm-hmm. The one that really got me was Jane Farstrider. There's this, this discussion about a book, about uh, a book where a woman used to, the adventures of Jane Farstrider and the how Rand had a friend who used to have a braid like that. Mm-hmm. And that then, like, that was the quickest kind of down to naive. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. That's where I had one slight problem, which is Jane Farstrider is this, it is this book that is discussed quite a lot in the book. It's kind of like they, they talked about it before in the beginning, things like that. So by the time you get to this point, it makes sense. You have the background. Mm-hmm. Here it is 30 seconds of a conversation and it then leads to naive. And I was like, you've taken one quick two step. But again, I think that's for me. What did you guys think? It felt like a, a, an Easter egg for the book. So I kind of yeah. expected people that were, that have a lot more knowledge of this universe to go, Oh, they've mentioned the book. And yeah. it, not to mean anything other than it's something that people carry around or read a lot. It's yeah. the Pippi Longstocking of this world or something. Yeah. Was- <laughs> but, but I actually didn't make the connection until you've just literally said it there that him 
saying to Lowell that a friend of his has a braid like that is the reason that Lowell goes and picks her up from the White Tower. I thought he was sent to the White Tower later to go yep. and get Nynaeve to see if yeah. she is available. Um, so that makes even that that makes even less sense why Lowell <laughs> has gone there. I thought he was literally gone, sent on a mission by Rand, go find the girl who I mentioned earlier on who has that braid. But if it was literally from that conversation, he just happens uh, to come across her and bring her back. Uh, that's more surprising. He he basically says he was in the garden mm-hmm. and bumped into yeah. this lady with the, the, the braid from Jane Freisharder and yeah. mentioned the two lads from Two Rivers. And okay. that's the case. I was like, oh, you took a bit too much of a step. But okay, yeah. we'll go with it because we, we, we're we traveling fast here. <laughs> we have an economy here but, of, of time. Yes. Exactly. But I, I think this is the balance. You know, like there is an economy, but... If you're going to introduce Loyal and you're going to put him in prosthetics and do the act, you know, the actor's going to be put in prosthetics and you, you've still got this, the, the, the library, just spend a little bit of time. I'm not saying, you know, it's half an hour of, of Rand and Loyal having a conversation in the library of, of the inn, but just have that sort of, more direct conversation um rather than just simply floating through a load of stuff that you know viewers just maybe aren't yeah. going to comprehend and and make um you know it more obvious in this case because it it can be it doesn't need to be shrouded in, in this instance mm. you know this is this is a meeting of 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 um Rand with Loyal where Rand is very accepting of him and he is normally treated differently from uh, other humans and that's where this 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 um bond bond and, and friendship you know uh, uh, nascent friendship begins so yeah. i i think they should have spent a little bit more time given um the importance of this character at least from my perspective after reading a few of the books and just his his species well as let's well talk about the bit they did the spend some time on those uh in the library discussion between these two characters which will clearly come back at a later stage because they uh they spent so little time on everything else that this one was obviously important to them and um, lowell calls out the fact that rand um could possibly be an ale man um, based on his red hair and that yes. he is different to other humans around, effectively. Yep. Um, that's quite interesting. I haven't heard anything like that at all before. Ran about Ran before. He's a, a shepherd's son, uh, effectively, or a shepherd himself, I suppose. Um, from the small village, uh, potential for the reborn dragon, but now another possible uh, difference to everybody else. He's possibly another species entirely. Yeah. yeah well, we saw. So we saw an Aiel, uh in the um the mining town yep. that that Tom he was the one in the cage mm. um and it's been floated and, and and dropped here and then we have this conversation and they are effectively from the wastelands we we heard about you know if they have the scarf that they're, they're sort of mouth covering down oh, yes. you're probably all right if it's up then you know you're they need business <laughs> and, and you're dead and mm. um, they're potentially um, you know, kind of a bit like the that they would align potentially with dark forces. Um, but I think 
that's about as much as I really know. I think right. it's more that they keep themselves to themselves a bit out in in the waste um, uh, and the wasteland. Interesting, because I definitely would, wouldn't have made the connection between those two, especially because uh, Lowell's calling him an ale man. Um, I was almost thinking it sounded like a slight change to human because he has a slight change to ogre as his name. Yeah. Uh, he was calling around a slight change to human. But yep. interesting. Okay. They're just, they're, they're essentially, it's a different... Different uh, race of humans. D- well, not even race. Like it would just be like the, uh, and it's a different land. But you're known because you have yeah. red hair. Essentially, mm. it's like coming from County Kerry, but or bit coming from Dublin. I guess it's that kind of difference. more more American versus Irish. Right. There's a connection. You're but you're both. There's Irish Americans. There's American Irish. But they're they're mostly they're two different. Red hair comes a lot from the Irish people. And you don't see it that often, right? yeah. That kind of thing. And, and I almost thought it was a a connection between the two of them because he was saying you're a different species to yeah. the other people around here, like me. Um, so you know. there is a there is, and I think at some point they're going to get to it. They're dropping all these hints throughout this season. They are going to at a certain point tell the prophecy of the Dragon Reborn, and when they say that prophecy, they will a lot of these. Easter eggs, a lot of these points that have been dropped will then finally point to who they, who they, who is the dragon reborn of out course, of the yeah. five. Yeah. So it's essentially these little things like the Ail, the, the dragon mount, the blood calling blood, mm-hmm. the channeling, all of those things will, will start to add up to a certain person. Um, but yeah. yeah, I can't wait to see what they do and when they, I'm hoping they do it this season. Well, it's also filling in for the conversation that wasn't, at least maybe to to make this again more obvious between Rand and his father Tam, uh, at uh, Emmons Field uh, and the Two Rivers. Yeah. Um. So it 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 wasn't included in in, in episode one, but this is effectively, um, hinting at the provenance of of Rand. Right. Yeah. Right. What's really interesting about this is when we started this spoke or this point uh, for the episode, I did not think we'd be only talking about Rand. I thought it was uh, when you watch the episode, it feels much more like an episode about Matt and how yeah. uh, and how much he's losing his mind. But when you look back on the episode and watch it the second time, there's so much going on in the background with Rand with conversations and uh, in little dropped lines. But there is one major thing that comes out between Rand and Matt, which is the pact that Matt tries to create. Yes. With Rand, after seeing Logan going through the streets, he effectively says, if I ever get close to a person like that, will you kill me? Because I'll do the same for you. If you lose your mind and you are the, the true dragon, if you lose your mind, I'll kill you as long as you'll kill me if I'm the true dragon kind of thing. So um, that's an interesting pact between the two of them. Very much so. And yeah. I, I think it's a, it's a good one, especially with, uh, as we kind of wrap up this spoke, how we leave Matt at the end of this episode. He is progressively getting worse and worse to the point where like Nynaeve to barely touches him and yeah. he snaps mm-hmm. uh, and but also he looks like he's on death's door so whatever is wrong with him is progressing at a pace that is beyond normal you could say mm-hmm. yeah it, it's taking it out of him definitely yes. um and to what extent that is going to be fatal or not, I guess we'll have to see. Exactly. So with that, um, gentlemen, let's move on to our second spoke 
um, which is another big aspect of this. Um, and I, 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 I'm not sure which of you decided to name it this beautiful way. Derek, I'm assuming it is you. Mm-hmm. We are going to call this stepping out. I know. I'm yes. Sorry. I'm, well, he it's certainly brilliant. didn't, he just certainly didn't step up, did he? So no. Um, I'm sorry. It was quite a serious, uh, storyline in the episode, but, uh, I couldn't resist, uh, calling the, the scene stepping out. It was brilliant. I, I very much I approve on all levels. Gallo humor is brilliant. But let's discuss what you guys saw. Like this is we saw the the essentially everyone coming back to the White Tower and the burial of Kareen, the the Aesodai who is no more, who died in the previous episode, and Stepan is her warder, and he is wearing his pain on his face and his like emotions there very much. And he's carrying her ring and being the, a lot of the story is about how he is feeling now that, as they say, a warder should not outlive their ace to die. And it's him having to deal with that loss and that connection and that connection being severed. And we learn a lot about say Lan's connection to the the rest of the warders and or and how deep that connection between the warder and the Aesodai goes and that feeling of losing your arm uh, and it's interesting to how it plays out because he he even takes her her uh, serpent ring the Aesodai ring and he basically adds it back to the flame of Tarvalon and allows that gold to be put back into Recirculation, essentially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Reuse, but I, I recycle exactly. Well, I do have a question about that. Um, sure. I, I was wondering because it looks like this is where all rings are created for the Aesodai, um, that they're created from this pool, and it kind of comes into the White Cloaks uh, later on. I wonder has some of the power left that pool because some of the rings have never been returned to it. Some of the sisters who've been killed by um, the um, Inquisitor, uh, the questioner, questioner, um, have has that taken away some of the power of the Aesodai because they haven't had those rings returned to this pool? Because um, it seems like such a big moment when um, Stepan is melting down the, the ring and setting it back in uh, at the flame of Tarvalon. It seems like such a big moment and such a big ceremony to do it this way that. Um, well, I know that there is the loss of, of uh, Kareni, of course, that that's the big element of it. I wonder was there, um, yeah, I wonder was some of the power of the Aesodai taken away because they never got the rings back of their former uh, former dead sisters, I suppose. Yeah, there's less, um, it's more symbolic. The mm. gold itself doesn't have um, power. Mm. Um other, I'm, I, certain other things can sometimes have additional power, but uh, within this, it's more of a symbolic that, that it's of the all things come from those rings, kind of like it, it's the symbolism. Okay, okay. yeah, no, I, I thought that was quite that was quite um, powerful. The melting of the ring, um, I, I, I really enjoyed that. I, I thought this was really good up to a point. Actually, I like, I loved and um, the burial of um Kareni um and all the others like they bury the king of uh Gielden as well mm-hmm. um so it, it's you know enemies uh, as well as um Aesodai and their warders um all being uh, buried out and then 
Um, just I, I loved all the rituals and ceremonies that they're doing here. I love that law, and of course, like we've talked about before, we you know that sense of the bond. I think you really feel it here with Stepan. Um, and not only that, but in that sort of the final moment as well. Um, but it was really interesting because I, I did, I was increasingly thinking because they kept talking about his future. Um, I really, and because he sort of came to Nynaeve's door and asking for some tea, I was just wondering if she were to become an Aes Sedai, would yeah. he, would he become her warder? Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was really intriguing to me. And of course, the ultimately I was totally wrong because the way it went was that you know, the grief, the loss, the pain is so, so acute, uh, so deep, so hurtful uh, because of the intensity of this bond between the water and the acid eye that he actually just can't, uh, he, he can't view any future without her. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. Ha- and ultimately um, commits suicide and, and knifes himself in, in the stomach and just bleeds out. So, and I I, I have to say, I, I was like, going, oh, okay, I wonder, because they were layering in stuff about his, um, him growing up and, and effectively how he, he got to that point. And I thought it was really good. And so I totally didn't think that we were going to have his suicide effectively mm. or his... Uh, as I said, just releasing himself from this huge burden of grief, pain, and hurt that I guess is, was just too much for him. So I wasn't really expecting that. But having said that, again, his his the ritual done by Lan on Stepin at his funeral, uh, observing those rites, um. I thought it was phenomenal. I mean, just seeing the way the camera moved between Lan, who just that expression of his own anguish at losing uh, one of his fellow warders, seeing him cry and seeing Moraine just crying as well. Again, just showing that bond. Mm. Um, because really just hit home the, the power of the bond because... Earlier on, when Nynaeve, I think in one of the earlier episodes, when she's putting um, some of some kind of paste and medicine onto uh, Moraine's wound, she says, I've heard about your bond between the Aes Sedai and, and their warder, so you're going to feel this. And she put it on, and there seemed to be no expression from Lan at all. So you didn't really get the sense. I, I, I didn't, anyway. I didn't get the sense of the bond. And I think that's what I got here with it being so connected to death um, and and so on with Stepin. I thought it was really, really good. And and certainly that final um, ceremony, I just thought it was really intense and really well done. Loved it. Yeah, I totally agree. Like we heard in in dialogue before we heard Lan say if he has a drink that Moraine will feel it. Uh, she'll get, she gets more emotional. So we have heard that there is that connection, yeah. but there is also something extra, I think, in this scene. Um, he is, there are tears in his eyes 
He looks at Moraine. She has tears in her eyes. But it's almost like he asks for permission to break his stoicism for this for this moment. It's like he asks, "Yeah, you will feel my full grief if I release it here. Is that okay almost? And there is that kind of moment between the two of them before he releases everything and she feels every moment of it and, and is almost absorbed and following his complete lead in what's happening here. She she takes up the uh, the banging of her chest along with the rest of the, the warders. It well, looks like she is now, yeah. she, the, the, the bond is complete in that moment um, yeah. well, and visible to the world more than the way both of them are. Both of them are very silent, uh, silent partners a lot. Uh, to other yeah. people, but it seems that in that moment, there he's saying, "Is it okay?" And she allows him to do it. It's well. even her taking up the beating mm. of the chest because, like, it feels so primeval yeah. what they're doing in terms of that expression. Yeah, yeah. and you don't really associate it with Moraine, who's quite noble. Um, you know, the, yeah. this this noble woman, and um, but she is doing that as well and i was wondering is that because he's doing it that mm. he's the bond means that she must also beat her her own chest in this sort of way to honor the the death of Stepin. so i thought this was just superb to be honest 100 percent for every aspect of for me on this was like the one the one additional part, which was the this, the 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 passing of the bond, mm. which is uh, he when Stepan and Lan are having that final drink when Stepan drugs Lan after kind of getting it from Nynaeve, mm-hmm. he goes, "Would you, would you do it? Would you like go beyond and leave Moraine if she was to pass?" And then we do like they they start joking about it, like, "Well, would you be?" up to share your 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 sister with these two other men uh, and he <laughs> like they make they make you believe up until that point until Lan wakes up that that is what Stepan is going to do he is going to join and this happens and this is kind yeah. of the more normal but then seeing this the guilt and the the the, the anguish to that additional part yeah but 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 I'm not sure whether it is normal. It seems like they're making an exception for Stepan because he has survived his Ace of Die, and that's really unusual that he would. It is. Um like I know again, we had the same feeling, John, that that um when Nynaeve becomes an Ace of Die, if that's what she's gonna become, that would make sense that they've introduced Stepan to be her warder in the future. But when you hear his story and his history about how he found himself in the service of the Ace of Die and how he found himself in, in service of uh, Kareni in particular, you're kind of going, well, his future story with Nynaeve, how did you meet her? Well, I had this amazing backstory and this amazing reason for being with my last I said I, and then I just joined her. You know, there's no, that bond and that connection that he had with Kareni was irreplaceable. Um, so when you, when you think about his actual story about how they met, he would never have been able to join another I said I, no matter who it is. Um, which I think is why his, why this, line in the in the show the story this storyline in the show is so affecting is because he has realized he couldn't continue any further yeah. because not just that he'd failed in his duty but because that bond that he had with his ace is gone and he would never be able to replicate that again yeah no it was it was hugely powerful mm. yeah 
Let's also speak about this other tiny other piece in the tower, um, Nynaeve and her her recruitment mm. to the Aes Sedai. Yeah, interesting yeah. one. Um, yeah, yeah, Nynaeve uh, effectively locked in the tower, um, like Rapunzel. Um, Let so, down your hair. Yeah, it's like I'll be back later. Uh, don't worry. Um, you just stay here, and then. We have uh, Leandrin coming in to investigate and, and work out what's going on here and how she can use to her advantage is what it seems. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and then just lets Nynaeve out to go for a walk uh, and disappear into town. <laughs> so it's interesting. It's like as if um, Moraine wanted something in her back pocket, so stuck Nynaeve in a room, didn't tell anybody about it. But of course, Leandrin's going to know because Leandrin was on the road with them. So yep. uh, of course she's going to know and, and seek her out. But um yeah, what do you think, Chris? What do you think of, of this? I, I, I enjoyed it. Like, Nynaeve, it is called out. She she potentially is going to, especially with more Moraine and Leandra when they discuss, that Nynaeve is potentially one of the strongest sisters in generations. Mm-hmm. Like, this, this power and any order within um, the Aes Sedai who begets her as a novice will it will be huge for them because mm-hmm. then we also hear more throughout this that the engine is building a lot of sway in the tower mm-hmm. um and there is different factions forming behind yeah. the engine behind the amelin seat and those who to a degree potentially support moraine and what she does because we again we hear that the amelin seat and moraine go up against each other and do not see eye to eye on a lot of things mm-hmm. um so essentially, this is getting more and more interesting because then Nynaeve becomes a political toy. It is essentially like a a, a toy between Moraine, the Amelin seat, who we still haven't fully met yet, mm-hmm. and uh, the Andrin and the Reds. And the Reds hate men. The Reds hate any man who potentially can channel. So if any of the Two Rivers boys or men, are the Dragon Reborn, mm-hmm. then well, where does that place Nynaeve as well? well? That, so it's, exactly. It's a really interesting point. And I mean, that's that's the danger that Rand is acutely aware of as well. And I, I do, in, in terms of that conversation in the White Tower, I love that Moraine's um, effectively retort to Leandrin is, well, she likes men. And, you know, she doesn't despise them like yourself. And mm-hmm. we also do get that the Yellow Sisters are effectively the 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 medic uh, and the ambulance service of, of the Aes Sedai as well in this one. Because her first use of the One Power effectively healed everyone from the wounds inflicted by uh, Legane. So, mm-hmm. I thought, you know, again, another little bit of world building uh, in terms of these, these, um, the colors of the different Asia of the Aes Sedai. So, again, um, yes, we now have our 999 call uh, for, for the Aes Sedai. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, there is many of them, and I can't wait to when we get that full discussion to kind of break down a bit more, be like the browns, the greens, the yellows, the reds, the blues, um, and the yellows. Um, there are, and there are more. And just since you mentioned it about um, her healing everybody with her power, um, did you hear that little uh, conversation between Stepan and, and Lan about the fact that she used her power to to heal Lan's neck 
possibly means that Nynaeve has feelings for Latin. Yes. Yes. Uh, that's an interesting uh, little development there, uh, considering Lan is effectively bonded Married. to Married. Like, again, it's almost like a marriage. He is mm. connected directly to um, Moraine. Yeah, and he kind of says, I'll, uh, that's on her. That's on Nynaeve. It's nothing to do with me. That's her her feelings, her emotions, and uh, she'll just have to go find somebody else, basically. Yeah. But three is a crowd is not necessarily in the dictionary of... Um, of the Sedai. Even though I know Moraine isn't green and um, she's blue, but I guess you can get greeny blue, yeah. uh, you know, turquoise, uh, turquoise seas. Um, so I was just wondering, you know, not three is a crowd in this case. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe. That's more rewarders, but we, we can um, discuss that at a later point in the. In Rewarders. The <laughs> That's true. The warders, but let's move on. Uh, anything else on this spoke, or are you happy to move on to the third and final act of the spoke? I think we're happy to move on. I think that's everything from uh, from the point about poor old Steppen. Yep. Beautiful spoke three, here we come. Let the spoken word come from Chris. Yes, let's discuss the white clothes catching Perrin and Egwene. Um, so... We, we, this is a good one. This is an interesting, we do see how the, the, the Tinkers, the Tuatawan, uh, stand against the White Cloaks as they come to, they are very close to Tarvalon, by the way, as well. So we hear this. So that means the White Cloaks, who are at odds with the Ace Eye, are also close, uh, to Tarvalon. Mm. Um, which is interesting since they do not get on. Well, um, but the Tuatawan basically form a, a peace shield. Allowing their bodies to act as the shield, mm-hmm. eventually stopping the white cloaks, the children of the light, getting uh, or catching Perrin and Egwene. Mm. Um, yeah, it's definitely interesting. Well, they say they stop up until a point for a minute. Yeah, for exactly. a, literally a hot second. Yeah, I think just the way the episode was playing out with everybody meeting in Tarvalon, I thought this was the use of the Tuathan was to. That's how they were going to be used in the story was to block the white cloaks from catching Perrin and Egwene, and then they would turn up in the city. You know, I just thought that was the way it would that's the way it would play out. But uh, it turns out to be much more brutal, yeah, than, uh, than I expected it to be. But with Perrin and Egwene being effectively taken in for questioning by the questioner, and, and him torturing uh, Perrin, yeah. and effectively saying to Egwene, "The choice is hers: either um, she isn't a channeler and can't channel." And that means Perrin's going to die, or she can channel, and then she dies, and he'll be released free. Um, yeah, pretty brutal. Absolutely. I mean, he's nasty. Mm-hmm. He's nasty. And um, I have to say, I want to give Abdul Salas, who who plays Child uh, Valdor, uh, absolute props. I think that cold, sort of almost bureaucratic sort of harshness um, and ruthlessness is he just puts across so well i mean i was there going i really would not want to be in that tent with him (laughs) Um, (laughs) and you know him dissecting the suckling pig whilst he's you know we've had the the spiky bird that he's eaten in one mouthful now Mm. he's got effectively a baby piglet that's been (laughs) spit roasted and he's dissecting in front of egg wayne and uh, Perrin, mm-hmm. almost foreshadowing him going to dissect um, Perrin uh, mm-hmm. in that kind of 
catch 22 one of them is going to die whatever they decide to to show and tell ultimately yep. or, or not for for Egwene. and so yeah it was just really brutal and um yeah it really gave him great sense of tension i thought here with him because oh, yeah. you you just um you just knew it potentially wasn't going to end well and you were like how is this going to uh, how are they going to get out of this and you know part of it is something that i've been waiting for for a long time which is the golden yellow uh, eyes of, of Perrin, um, and that 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 seeming connection with with the wolves that we you know we've seen them loitering around him uh, in the other episodes, but here we saw him licking the blood of his legs and uh, licking yeah and more than loitering yeah. exactly and guide, guiding him licking loitering guiding yes you know. And this was, I was waiting for this. Um, so I, I was really pleased with how this was shown. Just, I guess that, that shock, um, the, of Valdor effectively slicing up his back. Mm. Um, and the, the trauma, because we do here have him, uh, confessing to Egwene uh, about killing his wife as mm-hmm. to how it went down even though it was by accident it was a reflex you know he he tells her yeah. here and, and I effectively do, says to sacrifice him because of it as yes, well yeah that yeah. he he's happy if she keeps her channeling of on her connection to the true source um out of the uh, the way of, of this white cloak and mm. um, I do like, the, <laughs> I, I did like Egwene's sort of feeble use of the power. <laughs> but, you know, you've you've had Nynaeve in the last episode where, you know, it just looked like the start of a nuclear explosion about to, to go off. And here you get this ball forming in um, Egwene's hand and it's like, fires it off, yeah, and poof. Um, and it's just a child Valdor sort of looking at her going, you'll need to do more than that for it to hurt me. Um, so, and I was wondering about that with the white cloaks is, you know, if effectively he's taking their hands so they can't channel the, mm-hmm. the, the one power with their hands. Although I think he was saying something along the lines that, you know, that, there are some stories that say that it can be channeled without their hands, but it's almost like a, a first line of defense for yep. him so that he can question them. But he seems to revel in the interrogation. He, you know, he's got the suspicion that she is a channeler and he doesn't know how powerful she could be and it could get him killed. And I'm like, I just wondered if he does have some protection you know through the way of the light and um, mm. if this is a bit of a counterpoint to um tarvalon and the ace and um, so i thought that was kind of interesting that it kind of went just sort of poofed off him the, the first attempt was the uh the little ball the poof mm-hmm. uh and he, his joke about that and then the second weave that she's actually doing while keeping him talking mm. is that she's concentrating on Perrin's bonds. 
So you see very slowly a small weave of the one power kind of wrapping around the uh, the white power, the white weave wrapping around the bond and then mm-hmm. sparking into fire. So a, a true magician then in terms of the um, distraction yes. uh, exactly. in order. The misdirect. Yeah, the yes. misdirect. That's the word, so, yes. Egwene yeah. is is a master of misdirection. Let's say that she yeah. she knows how to hold and command the white cloaks in mm-hmm. this and, and child Valder, yeah. um, but it doesn't end well for him. No, it doesn't. No. Like a blade in the shoulder. Yeah, exactly. That's of all it. things, if anything, I like I would have gone deeper and killed, but sure, let's just go for wounding. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other folks do not get away so lucky. <laughs> no, they don't. Um, a wolf to the neck. Yeah. We see one gentleman definitely. I'm running out of the tent. Oh no, I'm getting pulled back into the tent. <laughs> yeah, really cool. Yeah. Um, I was waiting for the, the wolves. I was yeah. waiting for this. And seeing Perrin Golden Eyes on screen was a moment for me. Yeah, same um, here. Yeah. Also, you get to see parts of it for him where he goes, We see a wolf, definitely. Um, he understands what it's trying to tell him okay. to yes. a degree because he runs and goes, no, 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 they're, they're okay. They're not here to hurt us. Mm. And then the wolf basically is saying, stop, stop, stop. He understands to a degree, not sure how much. And then goes at, the wolf then goes after another child. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed as well because the wolf attack, fab. Yes. But I love that all the way through these scenes in Child Valdor's tent, Whilst he's being um, brutalized, effectively, <laughs> and sliced, that you have the sound of the wolves wafting in from the surrounding woods and forest that they've put there mm-hmm. and they, they've um, set up camp. So uh, that was just a really nice touch, to be yeah. honest, because um, it, it felt like... You could feel that energy sort of building with the wolves until the right. attack, and, and certainly with the, the his eyes um, turning this this golden yellow. So, uh, yeah, this was I agree with you, Chris. For me, this was a moment that I was really looking forward to. Yeah, um, and I, I, I'm going to give a quick hat tip. So every now and again, the, this show is beautiful to look at, like the first view of Tarvalon and the shining white tower, and then. Surprisingly for me, oh, then the battle, say, in the last one, the, the, the big battle with the one power and the, the, the folks. But here, for me, one of the biggest ones, which I didn't expect, was just the wolves fighting because it could have looked, they had wolves running around and obviously the, like those wolves are CGI'd. It could have looked pretty bad, but the getting the, these, multiple wolves running and attack dogs and mm. making them look like wolves and things like that, well-trained. Fantastic, I think. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, really, really good. Um, but there's a lot of lore, I guess, to come that will yes. be explained with Perrin um, and, and the wolves. Yeah. And certainly, um, it, it, like, there, there, there is a, a character from the books. And I know it's, it, you know, again, it, it's probably through economy. I actually felt the character was really important because of associations with other um, people within the world, even in book one. And I, I suspect that this person, maybe this mentor for Perrin, um, 
may come in somewhere else again, yeah. like how, how we talk about. But it's really, it's another nice sort of element that's been added to Perrin uh, in the same way, I think, with Matt with the dagger. Uh, you know, that there's these yeah. different elements that are, are building to mm. um, these three lads as well as with Egwene and, and with Nynaeve uh, and it, it, it's building uh, really nicely uh, okay. I, I think yeah I, I'm I'm kind of there with it because you guys are excited about it um, I'm kind of guessing what's going on and piecing things together I suppose one of the challenges for me is that I don't know how um, this works in this world and I need more information about that you know we have Perrin walking along with the Tuath and and he's giving out to them, going, "Why are you letting your wolves feed on everything they come across? You're destroying the environment. You're uh, you're atta- you're letting them attack everything." And then they're coming in and killing the white cloaks. And he's got the yellow eyes. I get I get all that. I saw all that on screen, but I'm getting no connection in the storyline as to what's actually happening and what it could mean. Um, I'm guessing that because there are things like werewolves in the re- in, in, in other horror stories that it's something like werewolves but i don't know how that works in the wheel of time world i don't know whether he's someone that controls wolves or is that what the tuathan do that the wolves are all not not humans transforming into wolves that they're just controlled by the tuathan i just need a bit more of that for this moment to make sense and to matter um so i'm sure we're going to get it in the future at the moment it just feels like Ooh, that's a bit weird. Where did he get the yellow eyes from? <laughs> and yeah. um, why aren't the wolves attacking him? Oh, I guess their friends, the the, the Tuathan, are in control of them, and he was with them, so he's not going to attack them. I guess that's what it is. But I need I need more to be excited about what's going on with Perrin, other than something weird's happening to that guy. <laughs> no, I agree. <laughs> Welcome yeah. to the Wheel of Time. <laughs> something weird is happening to that guy. Yeah, exactly. I can def I definitely agree with you on that. On, on that and uh, i mean i think it's probably as much of a shock to perrin as it is to you yeah. um, and that's certainly the the case in the book so the shock element i think is quite good i think it works i yeah. think again it's um yeah exactly it's yeah. it's who is going to explain this to perrin mm. because it could be the twathan it could be um loyal moving forwards or it could be someone else um it depends how that fits into to i guess the adaptation yeah exactly well gentlemen i think that kind of wraps up this whole episode Mm -hmm. and all of our spokes does anyone have any notes they want to get out before we get into our final decisions on whether how much we enjoyed this show um only known i have is my favorite line from the episode um, as a conversation amongst the warders when they're all uh, and they're all kind of hanging out together and kind of commiserating with them. And one of the warders says, my dad tried to kill me when I was 12. Stop your whining. Um, I really <laughs> like, that, like that moment when uh, everything's getting a bit melancholy for uh, for these powerful fighters, effectively, and just undercut with a little bit of humor. I thought that was, that was good fun. Always a good thing. John, anything from yourself? No, no more notes uh, from me. Excellent. Well, with that said, and that, should we say, spoken... Derek, did you enjoy this episode of The Wheel of Time? Yes, I did. It's the right kind of episode um, for this kind of show. Um, I mentioned it right up front. This is the type of thing I expect from a show that's going to last a few years to take some time to develop the world and develop what's going on. My one hang-up about parents' side of the story, not even having enough of that world-building to it for any of it to matter uh, to me at the moment, 
Um, that that's my only angle, but I'm sure we'll get that as the season goes on. Um, I have definitely been enjoying the episode so far, though, and looking forward to episode six next week. Excellent, John. Did you enjoy this episode of the Wheel of Time? Blood calls blood. Yes, I I did enjoy uh, Blood Calls Blood. I'd give it four yellow eyes at night. Sailors or shepherds delight, however uh, you want to say it. Um, out of five. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this um, a lot. Uh, for me, uh, the standout really was uh, around the White Cloaks encampment mm. um, with uh, uh, Child Valdor, um the questioner who we get his name terrifying man and you really felt for the safety of Egwene and Perrin and I think when TV does that really superb you get the reveal of of Perrin's yellow eyes his golden yellow eyes and that uh, connection uh, with the wolves that has been hinted at through so that was exciting for me I really really enjoyed that uh, a lot Saying that, I, I, to, to Derek's point, I do think that there are some elements that I, I know they have to race through 15 books in eight seasons if it all goes to plan, and I understand that. But I, I think there might be the need for a few little pauses on some elements for me, and I can understand on parents um, for sure, because some of that explanation it has not been been delivered yet um and i think loyal is also one of those characters that could have just done with a little breath and um, mm-hmm. a little five minutes within this hour of of an episode to to connect him to make it more obvious nothing not everything needs to be a detective novel that you have to work out um there, there is some things that you know are, there's plenty of law uh, uh, and surprises that can happen from these characters uh, but i think first meeting them in that way because it felt a little off with rand and yet it is to me a really nice um relationship within right. within the books and so but having said that i love what was added there i love that loyal could you know magic um Nynaeve uh, in in the yard in a sense um to sort of get her to to the inn um so I, I i i you know i'm glad he was introduced here i loved seeing random matt uh, and just their relationship here and mm-hmm. uh, with matt deteriorating even further rand getting worried and i think the whole law around um the warders and the acid eye and that bond and their loss um was exceptionally done uh, in, in in this episode um especially with the with Stepan um having committed suicide because mm. of how bad it was and then seeing that bond still burning brightly with Moraine and Lan uh, I thought that was really 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 good um so yeah this is for yellow eyes at night sailor's delight so Chris, uh did you enjoy? What did you think of this episode of The Wheel of Time? Yes, very much I enjoyed it. I can't add much to what you guys have said. My only bit will be at the end of this season 1 looking back knowing what I know going forward and knowing what potentially they have decided to skip or just completely kind of sidestep or potentially bring in at a later point in the season. 
I think I'll look at the season as a whole when I make that kind of overarching judgment. Some of the exposition that we don't get in this episode, I think, as you said, that breath could have been used. But that being said, that breath can happen potentially later on. Um, and we will get some of those explanations in a greater sense in six, seven, eight, as we kind of lead into the reveal of why parents' eyes are that color now mm. the, and beyond, et cetera, et cetera. So what's happening to Matt? So I think I'm going to say I really enjoyed it. I have exactly the same feeling as you guys. I think the only bit will be when we look back at season one and we do the wrap up, we kind of discuss, did it work? From a brand new, for for each of us, did it mm-hmm. work from our different viewpoints? And that will be the interesting part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, currently working so far for me, definitely. Yeah, it's working for me as well. Two quick notes. Uh, Chris, you clarified something for me that I was wondering the whole way through the episode. I was going, why is this guy asking to be called Child Valdor? Have I gotten that right? Because I have no subtitles and I was writing it down going, why is he called Child Valdor? The Children of the Light. So a child is his title. Yes. I thought it was a weird thing to say, call me child, when his name is not child. His name is, uh, is Amon, I think. Um, so he's asking them to call him by his title. So like Father Valdor would be. Exactly. Uh, that is a child of the light. That, that has and there's, they're the questioners, they, they are basically a mere, think of them as a militaristic Catholic church. Mm. That is, they, they, they have, ch- they're all children of the light. They're child Valder, et cetera, et cetera. The questioners, the Spanish mm-hmm. Inquisition. They also go beyond that where they have commanders, child and things like that. There's right. different titles. Well, actually, that brings me to my other note, which is, um, that you'd actually compare them to the Spanish Inquisition slightly, but you definitely compare them to the Witchfinders and the Witchfinders General. And I think specifically in the episode here where he poses that question to Egwene, which is effectively either you can channel and you die or you can't channel and he dies. That's very similar to the old, um, throw the witch in the, in the lake. And if she, uh, if she survives, then she's a witch. And if she, if she dies in the yeah. lake, well, then she wasn't a witch. Sorry about that. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, so just I I know there is that uh, that connection to a witch finder is not uh, is not difficult to see, but it's yes. just that choice that he gives is a very specific kind of test of a witch. Um, I thought it was interesting. yeah, definitely. So. That's that that's what made it so so terrifyingly good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had nowhere to go. One of them potentially was for for the slice. Exactly. Speaking of a slice. I could also do with a slice of pie and a good old beer. So what say you gents, we head on down to the local Queen's Blessing, the inn for a bit of a tipple. Yes. Welcome back, fellow quizzers, fellow wheelies. Yes, we are in the Queen's Blessing Tavern. Is it in Camelin? Is it in Tarvalon? Who knows? Unless you read the book, of course. But, um, yes. That's quest- not the question. That isn't the question. No, I, I, I shouldn't start the pub quiz with a question that isn't the question. Um, so what is the question for this week's pub so quiz? So, question five. Yes, question five for episode five. What dish is Perrin increasingly sick of eating as he travels with the Tinkers? Mm. Interesting, yeah. One more time for those in the back. Yes, what dish is Perrin increasingly sick of eating as he travels with the Tinkers? Mm, I think I'd be sick of this dish after after one 
serving of it. Um, yes. Uh, answers into feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. There'll be eight questions, uh, one for each episode of Wheel of Time. Um, the answers have to be into us by the end of the year on the 31st of December 2021. Uh, and we will choose a winner of some Wheel of Time goodies uh, from the entrants that have come into us uh, throughout for our in-quiz. Yes. But with our tipple done, gentlemen, should we take a bit of feedback? Yes, Chris, we'll let you go for the feedback. Uh, as usual, we record the feedback a little bit later than we record the podcast. So uh, unfortunately, you won't be here uh, for the feedback on Wheel of Time. No. Ta-ta, Valon, for now. All right. See you in a bit. Bye. Thanks, Chris. First up, we have an email on our feedback section from Christina of Black Girl Couch Reviews. She says, hello, lads. I am setting this ahead of episode five just to gush about how much I enjoy your discussions and coverage of the show. I've not read the books, but I find myself immediately immersed in this world of magic. I just have to shout out the casting department and Wayne Yip, the director, for doing an outstanding job on the show so far. It's rare that side characters are as rich as the main cast. I found myself, evil as she turned out to be, truly invested and empathetic towards Dana. Ela, in a short period of time, has had a profound effect, and Aram is delightfully charming, even if he is trying to steal your girl, Rand. <laughs> Speaking of Rand, he's totally the dragon, right? I'm basing this on nothing other than the fact that the dragon is supposed to shine brighter than the sun, and Rand's a redhead. <laughs> While Nynaeve is certainly my fave and clearly powerful with the light, methinks it's not as problematic if the dragon were a woman as much as it would be if, if it was a male, so I'm sticking with my theory. Every time I see Perrin, he warrants a hug. Is it wrong that I'm throwing my panties at every man in this show? <laughs> Keep up the great work. Can't wait till your next drop, Christina. Thanks, Christina. Is it wrong, John? Absolutely not, Christina. <laughs> I am also throwing my own panties mm. uh, at, at most of the men in, in this show. Absolutely. Um, they're certainly dishy. Yeah, they certainly are. Good casting. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, you've got the Marvel abs. This is the the dishy wheel, I guess. Yeah. You know, a smorgasbord of... Uh, of fine fellows um, on the screen uh, to look at. Yes, Aram yes. most certainly um, is charming for mm. sure. Um, he would definitely talk the 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 belt off me, I guess, <laughs> um, something like that along those lines. Anyway, Hang on and a second, you're not supposed to say that with your fiance. Well, no, that is job. true. You know what I mean. I do, though. Yeah. He's he's a charmer, <laughs> um, and I'm totally with you on uh, Dana, Dana, and. Um, you know, really got invested in, in that character. And ultimately, uh, she is no more until the next wheel turns um, and she comes back. But uh, really enjoyed uh, all of that. And I'm certainly um, kind of with you on your theory uh, on on Rand as mm -hmm. well. Certainly uh, because of the, the red hair, that is a good indicator mm -hmm. uh good call out christina yeah, yeah. thanks so much christina yeah um for for your feedback absolutely looking forward to more of uh, black girl couch reviews as well definitely and um, we also got some feedback from coffee and vodka greetings homecoming travelers one month later praise the mother's loving editors <laughs> <laughs> the citadel is beautiful mm -hmm. and being such an arrogant and politically divided house makes it amazing that it still stands True. the light of the white coats comes with a heavy hand their motivation of eliminating the gods above men while setting themselves up as religious authority makes for a hypocrisy so clear it's amazing they don't see it 
those white coat factions which haven't been visited by the petting zoo <laughs> that is so far no good guys at least at the organizational level mm-hmm. might be best if our fab four stay away from both the best character award of the episode goes to the ent like literary ogre more of him please any standouts for you four klingon funerals out of five Take care and peace, coffee and vodka. Thanks so much, uh, coffee and vodka. Certainly for me, uh, Charles Valdor is really standout. I mean, he just um, oozes awfulness, Mm -hmm. horridness, nastiness, psychoticness, you name it. And again, you know, for such a small amount of time on screen, you know he's a fanatic. Um, It's really interesting as well um, hearing in this how... Um, he he says to Egwene, "Do you really think I keep all of my oaths?" When she mm. counters to him that you know she would, he wouldn't kill her, yeah. um, because of the oaths of the the children of light. That's right. So you know, really interesting here. Direct, you know, who says we keep all the oaths that we we make? Yeah. Whereas on the Sedai side, the oaths are are stuck to. But they're certainly uh, malleable. Um, wiggle room. There, there is yes. wiggle room for sure. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, definitely Child Valdor. Um, I am absolutely loving. Yeah, I've really enjoyed his character uh, so far. Uh, you know, the, the main cast I'm really enjoying, they're all kind of equal to me, but I do love Egwene. I think she's got she's so interesting as a character and Nynaeve being as powerful as she is and the things she's going through with having discovered that power, I think is really fun to watch on the show as well. But uh, overall, I'm really enjoying the whole the whole cast right now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, really good cast um, of, of people here. And I'm really glad that Perrin's eyes have started to shine bright uh, well, yes. as well. It adds a, another dimension uh, mm. to his character. So really good. Yeah, thanks, Coffee and Vodka. Let's head over to Facebook for some feedback. First up, Deanna DeBrian-Maskell says, The visuals and music continue to be gorgeous. Bracketing this episode with two funerals was devastating emotionally. From the riderless horse to the beating of chest, so powerful. But oh my, is everything else about the terror just terrible and rotten to the core. Loyal the Ogier is, was terribly misused here, and I do not know why they even bothered to include him. I continue to love the traveling folk so much, and I want them to run this world. I have never celebrated a wolf pack so much in my life, but I'm not certain the show set it up as much as they could, could have. It felt like a leap to me, and I read the books. So much ground covered in this episode. I am still trying to catch my breath. Deanna, you heard the podcast. You know, I'm exactly the same as you. I haven't read the books, but I did feel like the the introduction of the wolf pack seemed um, like a significant leap for me to kind of go with and and, and see where it's going. Especially because at the end of the episode, it seems like Perrin and Egwene have left the group. So I guess we're not going to get much more build on that until we possibly meet back up with them sometime in the far future but it feels like there should have been a bit more set up especially because we've had a few scenes with them where there were kind of stories being told but not detail being given about who they are and what this wolf pack means in this universe yeah definitely i i think um you know as a as a book one and book two person mm-hmm. only at this stage um i really uh, agree with you uh, diana around uh loyal i think um i think he was misused in the sense that it would have been great to have had him and Rand. As I said on, uh, you know, just before, yeah. 
five minutes just for them to kind of get that sense of one another as yeah. well as the audience and and you can see why um he he's there and does what he does ultimately and it's weird um, yeah it was like i was re-watching the episode today um after we've seen it a couple of times for doing the podcast itself and all the scenes that you guys had mentioned they're all there there's all the moments there in their discussions between there is him at rand arriving in the library and being freaked out and taking out his sword and loyal explaining that when people see him instantly they're scared of him but it's just because there's no time for those scenes to breathe at all yeah. that it feels like you just, could miss it, and, you, and you're not getting the proper introduction of the exactly. character. It feels almost like they had a tick box of the things that need to be introduced about Loyal the it, character, it, and then they moved on. Absolutely. It just needed a little bit more. And, and even even if it was just coming back to them again before uh, Loyal brings Nynaeve down to yeah. to the inn. Uh, and I, I, I think the same around the wolf pack. There is a character here uh, that is more than likely, and I have no idea, but could quite easily be introduced um now that Perrin has the 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 shining golden <laughs> yellow eyes okay, not the shining okay. uh, but he's introduced in in book 1 and is your guide to mm. what Perrin is doing and and so gives more detail is more rounded and so i, I really think they kind of miss that i think there's just a few things that and again adapting such a massive uh, book uh, and, and series of books, these choices have to be made. And um, I, I'm just questioning those choices from my own perspective, but it doesn't alter um, how wonderful I'm finding this adaptation and this TV series. So yeah, thanks so much, Diana, for the, the feedback. Mm -hmm. Really good. Uh, as always, uh, more Facebook feedback from Angie Arhouse, who says, I am really loving this series. I have not read the books, so I have no judgment associated with its portrayal of them, but I am enjoying it as a fan. I really appreciate the striking visuals, cinematography, and use of colours. It's stunning to look at. I'm also excited to see each character's powers unfold as they reveal themselves to us, the viewer. Well done and bravo. I absolutely second that, Angie, uh, as well. You know, mm -hmm. it is just so epic. And the whole thing feels uh, fully realized as a world. And that is one of the tough elements in fantasy yeah. um, to, to do because you're creating worlds. It, it yeah. really um, needs so much shorthand as well as longhand in this. And it's absolutely. getting that balance right. And just those elements around... The, the costumes, the cultures, and um, how you do a, a wide shot, the music really builds to and adds to that idea of this world that we have been introduced to. So really good stuff. Absolutely. And our more than regular shout out to the X-Ray feature on Amazon Prime. Definitely. Um, on, after this week's episode dropped, they put out uh, four making of documentaries. They're only about four or five minutes long, but there's two on the costumes, uh, two on the music, and they're both uh, both fantastic. I suppose the music one and the costumes one are both fantastic. Check them out. Uh, you have to go to primevideo.com um, on a browser, on a web browser, rather than doing it on any of the apps. For some reason, it doesn't seem to work on the apps. I really hope they work out a way to get those out to more people because I was saying the other day after watching them, they really felt like the 
level of quality of the production of these behind the scenes pieces feels like the Lord of the Rings, um, Peter Jackson ones that they did for, for all the Lord of the Rings movies. They're of that level of detail. Definitely. Um, definitely. Seeing how the costumes are put together, you know, some, a simple costume like the red ace eye costume looks really plain on screen sometimes. Um, well, not, not in 4K. When you watch it on 4K, you can see the detail, but when they show you what the costume looks like and the influences in it, it's fascinating yeah, to see how much details in there. Definitely, this world. definitely. That was mind blowing to me. I really yeah. felt that uh, the the red ace Sedai, Liana, the the costume was uh, it was almost like a very plain red tunic, mm. and then the the X ray uh, look at these costumes of the red ace Sedai, yeah. and and indeed Moraine's uh, shoulders to her mm. own blue outfit, um, the detail involved in it. Yeah was incredible and um, so Absolutely. yeah definitely uh worth a check out i second that as well yes and, and even the, from the music side they have lauren balf who's the composer um they have the instrumentation that's used to uh create that's the stunning soundtrack uh to the show uh really really interesting they also have an interview with tom and the actor who plays tom uh talking with him about how, how he came up with that excellent song from episode three um really really good stuff yeah. so check it out um definitely hope that they can put together a package at the end maybe and it's like a, t- a two or three hour behind the scenes tour yeah. because there's so much more detail that that'd be great and so much more i want to watch of that as well yeah that'd be great thanks so much andrew we have one final fe- piece of feedback a voicemail from steve brown back from his thanksgiving holidays over to you steve Hello, TV Podcast Industries. This is Steve. This is for Wheel, Wheel of Time. I, I've really been loving uh, the show. It's it's so confusing, though, and I love uh, hearing your guys' coverage of it. Sometimes I have to watch the episodes twice in, just to even catch it all. But it's it's been really great. I love how you, you can incorporate some of the stuff from the book in it as well. But you're also explaining different things that, that I, I don't even catch up on. And, uh, but I, I'm, I, again, I'm loving your coverage of it. I love House Podcastica's coverage of it. And, uh, it, it, uh, it, I struggle each week with who do I send a voicemail to? Who do I live Steve? And, uh, so th- this week you're getting a voicemail and they're going to get the live Steve. Maybe next week I'll send you guys a live Steve and send them a voicemail. <laughs> we'll see. But, uh, again, uh, loving what you guys are doing and uh, can't wait to hear this, uh, this week's episode. Uh, the last ones were great. Thank you so much, Steve. Yeah, great to hear your, your thoughts overall on the series so far, because I know you've been away and, and I've been unable to send in any of your live Steves or voicemails to us uh, for the show. But I'm glad, I'm really glad you're enjoying it. I hope um, the way that we've set out the podcast with me not knowing anything about Wheel of Time and basically asking the guys to give me a kind of rundown on things I may be missing. I hope that's helping you as much as it's helping me. Yeah, thanks so much, Steve. Well, and I'm only I'm only very minor knowledgeable. Yeah. I, I guess on that, which is probably quite dangerous for <laughs> for uh, our fellow uh, wheelies to to listen to, um, because I'm I, I don't have the the the, the long sight of mm-hmm. um, all fifteen books, but yeah. uh, I'm really glad you're enjoying it, Steve. And Absolutely. as always, thank you so much uh, for your voicemail absolutely yes and a shout out to uh greg ben and wendy over on the uh, podcastica podcast who are covering this uh, show as well i've been really enjoying their coverage over there uh greg reached out to us 
John uh, sent us a message after he'd been recording the episodes. He was driving back from Thanksgiving and was listening to our first podcast on TV podcast industry's Wheel of Time. And he was laughing about the fact that the two of us were struggling so much uh, through that first episode and you were helping me out, uh, but didn't have all the book knowledge because Greg's a massive fan yeah. of books. But he was really enjoyed the coverage. He says it was great fun to hear the bits that we were stuck on that he may know because of his uh, his knowledge of the books. So. As I say, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. <laughs> Luckily, in this case, and for myself, it it is uh, directed at a TV show yes. rather than something maybe a bit more critical. That's um, it. But loving this show. Absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. Thanks to everybody that sent us in feedback for this episode of Wheel of Time. Um, we hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. Uh, you can keep emailing us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or you can join us on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. Uh, you can also join us on Twitter at tvpodindustries or find us on Instagram. We're also over there for TV Podcast Industries. Yes, thank you so much for that feedback. I'm sure it was spankingly good. But do you know what else is spankingly good? Supporting this wheel podcast. Do you know why? Because you can go to patreon.com slash TV Podcast Industries where you can support us for a dollar bill or a single coin to help a, a weary gleeman get his podcast out into the world. Um, or, but if you don't fancy going to patreon.com, you can also go to buymeacoffee.com slash TVPI where you can buy Derek, our illustrious producer and editor and everything in between, a bit of caffeine to help the wee hours as the, the morning goes as he edits this podcast. Yes, mm. you can do that by buymeacoffee.com slash TVPI. Yeah. Any support is hugely appreciative. Can't support. We completely understand. Why not? Share the podcast because sharing the podcast is sharing the love. Leave us a review on wherever you are listening to this audible digest of the wheel of time and we will, (laughs) it will be mean a lot to us and it will be hugely grateful. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, we, we love your support. Thank you so much. Whatever way you do support us, it's, uh, it's really, really good. Uh, this week, if I do get a coffee, it's probably going to go on something to, uh, sort out this throat of mine. So I'll be back, uh, with a real, uh, a, my real voice, uh, by the next episode of, of the podcast. Will that be dissolving some strepsils in, into the coffee? <laughs> I was trying to avoid brand names, John. Um, <laughs> okay, that's sorry. why I didn't say a, a nice lozenge or, uh, or some Beecham's, uh, some lozenges. Remedy. Um, yeah, some lozenges or, uh, or some or some um paracetamol laden uh, yeah. uh drink uh, there we can go. also just get you a hot whiskey the irish way yeah. that's the idea yeah. the whiskey. Oh, whiskey and lozenges a.k.a. <laughs> strepsils would be a, a powerful combo <laughs> they would if we want to asleep <laughs> but we don't want Derek asleep because we will be back next week with our continued coverage of hawkeye over on disney plus and more importantly depending on what you enjoy, mm-hmm. the sixth episode of The Wheel of Time, named, of course, none other than The Flame of Tar Valon. Mm. Where have we heard that title before? Who knows? I think Chris said it earlier on the episode. I, yes. I think exactly. I have. <laughs> and exactly. I am yes. Prophetic. Yes, looking forward to our coverage of, uh, of the next episode of Wheel of Time. Thanks so much for joining us, Wheelies. Yes, thank you, Wheelies. Remember, there are no beginnings or endings But this is the end of the podcast. Keep watching, keep listening, and keep wheeling. Bye. I like keep wheeling. Bye. Bye.
10, nearly a decade plus, I have been pronouncing these words in my head by myself. Never have I heard them uttered aloud by anyone. Mm-hmm. And now, Egwene it is. Nope. Egwene. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's a perfect example. An Egwene it is. Nope. Nope. What is it? <laughs> it's not even that. Okay, third time. Egwene. And Egwene it is. Nope. Oh, Egwene. E-G-G-W-A-Y-N-E. And Egwene it is going forward then. There uh, we go. Excellent yes. stuff. Yes. 